Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. It's Sunday morning, the day after Word in the Park. How are you feeling, Mark? I feel re- righteously knackered, actually. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I got home last night really early, actually. We've been in the pub for about four hours. When I got home by eight o'clock, I had something to eat, and I just sat on the sofa to my wife, and I actually just fell asleep, <laughs> just wiped out. Not surprised. That amount of, amount of social activity too. Very good fun. Though. And uh, just for, for to recap it for anybody who's who's never been to one, uh, you know, it's basically how it works is that uh, you know we do this event in uh, in the venue of Opera Holland Park in in Holland Park, and we've been incredibly fortunate for the last three years now that the weather has smiled upon us. Gorgeous. It, it was absolutely gorgeous, and so you know we have a number of guests who chat. Uh, and yesterday we had uh, Bob Stanley and Leslie Ann Jones and John Higgs and Claire Grogan and uh, and loads of people turn up and it's lovely to see old old familiar faces and new ones and so forth and uh, and that's great but the thing I really look forward to is going to the pub afterwards first taste of pint of Guinness oh God you know because. No drink you feel is more uh, relished and deserved. Yeah, you said that was best drink of the year. I thought it was rather good, actually. Best drink once of the you, year. Once you've done that whole thing, you, you've had weeks thinking about it and getting it set up, you know, with you and Alex and uh, and the various speakers and uh, James at Opera Holland Park. I mean, it's just a huge number of people involved, aren't yeah, they? Right? Right. Over, yeah. over, the, over time. And we went to we went to the pub afterwards with a bunch of uh, mates and people who'd been on on the show and so forth, with the sun shining. And my God, I enjoyed that drink. On that that's occasion. good. Did I tell you about my conversation with Ian Brody? Go on, Ian Brody of of, of the Lightning Seeds. Um, we came to the to the show yesterday, and he came to the pub with us. You know, fabulous. I never met him before. Actually, fantastic bloke. Really, yeah. really interesting. I had a long conversation with him, and I was asking about uh, about three lions. And he said, and it really interested me, he said it's it's become completely divisive for his audience because Three Lions is a song that supports England. Yeah. So therefore, their popularity, Lightning Seeds' popularity in Scotland and in Wales and in Ireland <laughs> has really, really, really been affected by that. So I never, never would have struck me. He said it was really good because they recorded it and they weren't going to play it live. They were just going to go and do their Lightning Show, a Lightning Seeds show. And then he said, after that became a kind of hit, he said, dads and lads would turn up. So the front few, few rows would be full of 
dads with their younger sons, young sons, in their in their England kit, waiting oh, right. to hear that oh. song. And yeah. they weren't prepared to play it. They hadn't rehearsed it. So they thought, well, we're going to have to rehearse it. We're going to have to play it. And once they started playing it, it divided the audience. He said he once did, they used to be able to do three nights in Barrowlands in Glasgow. Barrowlands is big. It's about yeah, 1,800 seats yeah, yeah. venue. He said they can barely fill a pub up there now. Really interesting. <laughs> so all this, all this and I, I really understand it because actually the English don't feel that way so much about the others. Well, we kind of understand all the Welsh. The one, you know. the one thing that that unite see Irish, uh, Scottish, and Welsh football yeah. supporters is they really do not want to see England celebrated in any way, anything at all. At all. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Whereas we, so if we we got to try and imagine what it'd be like if if if, if that kind of you know the, the national anthem was kind of you know kind of red dragon on the shirt or something. I don't. Know, it's hard to imagine. We just it's about England, and where if you're English, you just kind of think, well, that's wonderful. But he said it's become a real, real problem for them, you know, because it's actually really affected their 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 live standing in all sorts of areas outside of England. So I never, never would have crossed my mind that would have happened. No, never across my mind. Anyway, he's, a super, he's got a memoir coming out actually, written by John Higgs, if old old ghost written by John Higgs, I think, um, later in the, in the year. Very interesting. Yeah, so, so it was a big success yesterday. I think everybody came. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, but it's kind Claire of Grogan, down. wonderful. We've talked to her before several times, and there's always laughter, and there's always tears, Dave. There's always tears. It's one of my favourite bits of Claire Grogan. She suddenly burst into tears talking about how much she loved singing. And then she said, I just I realised I love applause, at which point everybody clapped. Said, <laughs> yeah. and I, I really like loud applause, which everybody <laughs> massively loved. And I think she said, I quite like cheering too. The place was going mad, you know. She was brilliant. And Bob Stanley, yes, Bob Stanley talking about the Bee Gees. Potty, pilly and boozy, didn't he call them at one point? <laughs> According to their, their different kind of uh, uh, recreational drug uh, habits, you know. John, and John Higgs told that lovely story about, uh, about um, George Lazenby uh, when he was yes. in the Bond films, not being allowed by Cubby Broccoli to go to the Bond Premier. Premier. The only one he was in it. He was only in one Bond film because he, he grown his hair too long. He's grown no his longer hair. was on 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 brand for. for but you see, this is what I was discussing with John. I did an event with John in uh, at the Bath Literature Festival a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about the Beatles and James Bond. His book is about the Beatles, James Bond, which you know both emerged. The first James Bond film came out literally the same day as Love Me Do, the first Beatles thing. Yeah. So they the two great phenomena of British entertainment uh, kind of were, were born together. And we're talking about how, how the Beatles is essentially a kind of shaggy concept and Bond is essentially a brill cream concept, it is. isn't it? You know, it's a, it's all, again, Mark, I'm sorry to keep coming back to this. It's all about the all hair. About hair it's all about the hair. And it, I was able to pursue this point with um, with Bob Stanley on, on the subject of the Bee Gees because Barry Gibb, was a person who, for the majority of his career, you know, hid behind a beard and was utterly obsessed with the beard. Yeah, he was. And then decided to shave it off for his, uh, when he was making a major feature film debut in Now Voyager, or remake of Now Voyager. Actually directed by, or produced by, the guys from Hypnosis Films, I think I'm right in saying. 
All right. And, uh, you know, shaved off the beard and uh, film disaster. Yes. Absolute disaster. But he didn't work. He's a bearded concept. He's a completely so Probably a lot of people just didn't recognise him. You know? Absolutely. He's like ZZ Top. You know, he doesn't work as a, as a clean no. shaven concept. Although I was watching an interview with Billy Gibbons the other day who said there was a brief period when Frank Beard from ZZ Top had, had a beard. Did had he? Had a beard. Yeah, just, that must be the kind of, uh, you know, the penny black of ZZ Top pictures, mustn't it? That yeah, it must be. Frank Beard with a natural beard. With no beard, yeah, yeah. So remind me, Royal Blood. A uh, Royal Blood, this was uh, earlier in the week. Was it, was it last weekend now, actually? Royal I, Blood I, plays on Radio blurs. 1... Um, Radio One weekend show, I think, in Dundee. And this clip just went everywhere, didn't it? Royal Blood, uh, you know, as you know, a two-piece band. They're, they're, they're just a rhythm section, really. They're, they're a bass player and a, and a drummer. And they went on, on on a bill, I think, between, I can't remember who it was now, I think it was Lewis Capaldi and maybe Wet Leg or something. So it wasn't a very rock event. But their whole thing is they're a rock band, you know. They are the most kind of um, aggressive, hard-hitting uh, full-on kind of, uh, you know, big brand rock band. And they felt that they weren't received very well. Actually, if you look at this clip, there's quite a lot of applause, you know, it's, and it's very polite. They're not getting booed or anything like that. You know, people are just thinking, fair enough. But it's not part of the mix of that day, clearly, a rock band suddenly appearing. And the bass player, the leader, just suddenly decides that uh, they're not getting enough, um, not getting enough applause. And keeps going on about can you be bothered to applause? And he says at one point he said uh, he says does anybody like rock music? No, nine people, great, you know. And uh, and he says something like uh, oh, I guess we should introduce ourselves, seeing as no one actually knows who we are. We're called Royal Blood, and this is rock music, which has become a huge kind of meme now on social media. It's just pictures of of of, uh, of of duos, you know, little and large, Morecambe and Wise, or whatever. Just saying, uh, we're called Royal Blood, and this is rock music. And eventually, he just leaves. They leave in a fury, and. Uh, uh, having kind of insulted the audience and insulted the audience on the TV cameras. And he leaves giving that kind of single finger salute as he goes off stage. And everyone piled in saying this was an absolute catastrophe and this would be uh, doing them a lot of harm. I don't agree, actually. I think it'd be doing them a lot of good. Do you? Yeah, really. Well, well, I, I don't do because really. that's what... It's, it's, it's it, kind of old... It's an old stupid little story, isn't it? You know, it's, it is. It's, it's a classic 21st century absolute storm in a storm in a digital teacup isn't Completely. it Completely, because from what i can gather as you say they they weren't going down badly at all. they're not going down badly. But, but 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 clearly they did but they're they, used they to going out to, they uh, used to they're used to playing in front of their vans exactly <laughs> because if you go and do a radio one show you're not playing in front of your fans you're playing in front of all kinds of people and that's that's fair enough that's the way it should be but obviously somebody Probably, dare I say it, somebody in the BBC digital wing thought, I can clip this together. Yeah. Like, I make it look as if they're kind of aggrieved, you know, aggrieved posh boys, which is... The yeah, that's the other which thing. Which came they, over. They do sound really posh and really uh, kind of and, uh, entitled. You know, so that... <coughs> And then obviously they they put that together to to put over that kind of message, you know, yeah. and uh, which is the way it was uh, it was taken, and um, you know you might be right, it, it possibly wouldn't have done them any any harm at all. But I was the thing that that 
amaze me is the kind of level of the kind of uh, vicious, you know, um, criticism aimed at them because of this stupid, I know. stupid, neither here nor there thing. And it was just such a reminder. And there was another case of it this week, which was Noel Gallagher performing, having the temerity, how dare he, to perform Love Will Tear Us Apart. Love Will Tear Us Apart. And in both cases, you think there's so many people just waiting to vent their righteous indignation. Because I felt that with Royal Blood. I felt a lot of people probably had no real opinion about Royal Blood. Don't care about it. Just want to get in there and give somebody a kicking. And you're (laughs) right. You know, the only the only issue is if you're playing to your own fans, they're already converted and you're going to get a riotous reception. If you're at a festival, as you know, you've got to win people over, you know. They weren't I think I think it would do them a lot of good because I think anybody who likes rock music would like that stand that they made. You know, but the the Noel Gallagher thing is amazing because it struck me that Love Will Tear Us Apart is a kind of people think they own that song, don't they? <laughs> I, I can't think of a song that people seem to care more and are more precious about. You know, I had a look to see because I was just interested, and there've been I think about eighty cover versions, but very very few by anybody well known. Simple Minds did one, uh, Bush did one, June Tabor did one, the Royal Philharmonic did one. But outside of that, you know, no one's dared to take it on because probably for that reason, actually, is that people are, it's sacrosanct, isn't it? Don't you think? Well, it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't know about sacrosanct, but um, I think it's pretty foolish to try and do it. It's like doing Strawberry Fields Forever. You oh, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, the record was the record. That was that was it. It was it was a perfect thing. You know, you I couldn't imagine doing it any better. You know? No. Um, it does, but but then again, well, you love another reason things. to cover versions to do an interpretation, do a different version. But no, I don't think anybody wants a different version because it's so ingrained, isn't it? Yeah, but what they didn't but like was the, was the idea of Noel Gallagher. Yeah, doing yeah. It. that's what they didn't like. It, it's like he's too successful to do that. You know yes. what I mean? You're allowed to do that if you're poor. You can't do that if you're yeah. if you're yeah. established. But again, you thought that the the debate about him is neither here nor there. It's just an excuse every week to have a go. Two or, two or three things to. This is the thing I'm going to complain. I'm going to go in and give him a real kicking. <laughs> and, uh, well, we were discussing one of the many topics we discussed outside the pub last night in a wide ranging Guinness Fuel conversation uh, was the fact that the internet was created. Um, so that middle-aged men could have the illusion of feeling that they were having the last word yeah, on, exactly. on every subject, you know. Yeah. And so you get something like Noel Gallagher, Lovers of Terrors Apart, or Royal Blood or whatever. Every man, and I think this is men, <laughs> every man adding his comment on Twitter or whatever, Having done it, sits back, folds his arm, and thinks, "Well, that's sorted. That's out. sorted that out. <laughs> that's ended that one. That's everybody else's. Everybody else has stopped mid-tweet. That no, yep. no, I think, I think Fred Smith over here has spoken for all of us. Yeah, <laughs> of course, it doesn't work. Well, like then he goes that. back and has a look. He discovers that four thousand other people <laughs> have done exactly the same thing. And sat back, as you say, kind of with their arms folded." <laughs> 
immense satisfaction. Yes. I'm in charge here. Absolutely. And it's so absurd, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Royal Blood must have been absolutely throwing their hats in the air. Oh, well, I don't know. I don't know. Their manager may have thought, no, it's a good, good thing. It's a good thing. But, you know, if you get that level of criticism, it doesn't matter who you are. It's hurtful. It is her. The thing that might have hurt them was the fact that they were, it was all about them being so posh, you know. Because well, it does sound posh. Well, we should be, people reach for that yeah. so readily nowadays, yeah. you know. Yeah. It never used to. I don't remember this. I don't remember people abusing Genesis because of that back in, you know, 1973, 74, or whatever. It's a, it's a, now that the entire nation has been to university, people are allowed to be really class conscious. Now that they're all middle class, you know what I mean? They're allowed to look down on the supposed upper class. That's the way. That's the way. It well, rolls. it's also about the shift in 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 the entertainment business, isn't it? There's a really good bit in that John Higgs book, the bit, book we talked about earlier, actually about Bond and uh, his Love and Let Die book, where he talks about how um, you know it's the the house prizes in central London. Uh, you know, there was a time when you could squat or you could live on very cheap rent in central London and, and anybody working, any any class of musician could live in London and start developing a band. And uh, and he said, he pointed out some statistic about, I think, 10 years ago, something like 67% of the of the artists in the UK charts had all been to stage school or whatever, you know. Well, well yeah. Um, but that, that's so that you couldn't get into the music business. And actually, you probably couldn't get into a lot of media businesses or possibly into drama. Uh, you know, unless you were kind of middle class and you had parents kind of sponsoring you, you know. So that was quite interesting, actually. Well, yeah, but you find the same thing. It's like um, I always think, you know, you don't see it anymore, but up until a few years ago, you used to read obituaries of distinguished editors of national newspapers, whether they're editors of the Daily Mirror or the Times or the FT or, yeah. or the Scotsman or whatever. And what they all had in common... All of them is they'd left school at 15 and they'd gone to work as a copy boy. Yeah, they had. They'd been a runner or something they'd, like that for the They'd the, the, wear their way up. Nobody does that anymore. You know, no, they, no. they're all they're all Oxbridge, you know. Oxbridge and it's work experience for about two years <laughs> and then suddenly start writing articles. You know, yeah. absolutely right. And, uh, you know, so that, the, the shape of these things has changed all the time. And, you know, the way it was true, you know, that people could live in squats and so forth in 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 the middle of London, and well, the same thing in New York, certainly. Completely, you know, they, that was the whole thing about the, it was like the loft scene and all yeah, that. Yeah, the whole you know. Talking Heads, Ramones, yeah. um, you know, Blondie, all that that whole late seventies thing was all about them living in kind of you know virtually empty apartments of virtually no rent and. and Having the room to the space to to, to rehearse and, and, and develop their act, you know. But anyway, those days are gone. The Word Podcast: Prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. We were talking the other week about how uh, some sort of classic, iconic acts had nonetheless kind of rather faded in public esteem, and arguably over the years. We thought Jimi Hendrix might have been one. Uh, it feels like Jimi Hendrix's star was higher 20 years ago than it is now. 
And uh, there's been some response from the uh, the listeners. Uh, well, there has. There's a really nice uh, 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 email from a guy called Peter Nuttall, <clears throat> who said, if you want an artist whose stock has really plummeted in the last 30 years, look no further than the doors. <clears throat> I thought that was true, actually, and I couldn't work out why. But I felt it was true. I think one of the reasons might be that the Oliver Stone movie mm. was pretty poor. Do you remember that? Had mm. they had a movie, the equivalent of a kind of Bohemian Rhapsody type thing that, that, that kind of shored up your reputation, might have made a difference. I said, I don't think there's any real story with The Doors, either. apart from the death of Jim Morrison. I don't think there's any great narrative going on. I don't think there's any great warmth about any of them, actually, any of the individuals. Um, I don't think there's anything propelling their back catalogue at all. Do you? Do you feel there's anything pushing uh, I don't know. I feel that... Um I don't know. I think they still stand for a certain kind of forgive me pool. Yeah, <laughs> and I think there are, there are people who probably still like you know Riders on the Storm and you know yeah Texas Radio and the Big Beat and all that kind of thing. And uh, but there it's interesting the parallel with you mentioned Bohemian Rhapsody and you know and Elton John and you know the things that that tend to endure. The things that are probably slightly less blokey, would you would you yeah. say that you know that uh, you know that Queen became you know everybody's middle of the road, didn't they? Really? Yeah, you know it's like I know there are exceptions to this rule, but I always always thought that everybody likes at least some Queen records. Yeah, and and it's the same thing with Elton John or whatever. You know, they, they were quite mainstream. The door's less, though, I suppose. Um, but, yeah, there's also something from, who was it, Giles? Oh, Giles Fraser wrote a really nice thing saying, um, saying I, <laughs> it's a really good voice. It's just straight out of your world. He said, I remember a film PR woman. We've been talking about uh, publicity. Uh, in the mid-'80s, telling me she spent a week organising for Sting to be mobbed at Cannes. And then the next day, after the mobbing, getting him on daytime television to complain about being mobbed. <laughs> <laughs> Really, really good. That's 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 how PR works. Well, it's also the but, great, the great <laughs> truth. The great truth about you know fame in, in in pop music, you know, or public attention in pop music. Yeah. There's either none at all, or it's really tiresome. Or it's too you much. Know, there, yes. There's nothing in between. There's, yeah. a, there's not a reasonable. No one ever says I'm attention. happy with uh, my <laughs> level of adulation. You know, <laughs> it's never quite. It's absolutely enough. true. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. But he said, talking about uh, he said talking about people with their reputation waning. He said, uh, I think this relates to quite a number of the heavier acts of the seventies, uh, which is that they're less popular because they aren't really conducive to being listened to in a group or social setting. So my turntable is in the kitchen. Relatively few records get the approval of my wife and my three twenty-something daughters. Indeed, my wife categorizes music as either jolly or noisy. So Jimi Hendrix and Led Zeppelin and Bowie and punk uh, are all fall into the uh, latter category. I played Supper's Ready by Genesis the other day. My 26-year-old said, can you turn that off? It's doing my head in. So I reckon these noisy acts just don't have any growth demographics right now, he said. 
So the records, all pretty M.O.R. that seem to make the cut, are Rumours, Avalon, Making Movies by Dire Straits, Supertramp. That's interesting. And also Nick Drake, John Martin, and Jackson Brown. Well, that's quite an interesting point, actually. I think it's a very interesting You play loud music or music that just, you can't really appreciate. Led Zeppelin's a really good example. It doesn't work played soft. So you're playing it loud. It's then an assault, and it's it's quite aggressive. It's quite it's a challenge, actually. Yeah, you know, you're, it, 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 they've got to, you've got to react to it. Whereas if um, if Nick Drake's playing in the background or Jackson Brown or something like that, it can just dawn on you that you quite uh, like it. Yeah, and also if you're of a mind to ignore it, you can ignore it. <laughs> yeah, at all. Whereas you know the successful playing of Led Zeppelin's "Trampled Underfoot," let's say, picking an example, uh, completely random. In a social circle with, you know, five people in the room, depends on their being present in that room at that time, five people who want to listen to yeah. Trampled Underfoot. I want to listen. And if you want to listen to Trampled Underfoot, you want to listen to nothing else. And you want to have all other sounds banished from the room apart from the sound of Trampled Underfoot. The same thing does not apply to playing, I don't know, you know. Crosby Stills Nash, no, or uh, you know, it, it can just go on. It can in the be background. foreground music, it can be background music. Absolutely, it can just be there. You can dip into it, you can dip out of it. It's not completely gripping and compelling, you know. Yeah, and it, no, but I, I think Giles has got a very good point there, and I think it's probably the case that you know, as music, you know, we go through different stages with the music. You know, it starts off as something you play in your room. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then it becomes something maybe you play in an office or something. Uh, and that then has to obey certain regulations, doesn't it? You know, you, we've worked in offices where people yeah. play music all day long, and and uh, and there were certain things people just couldn't play, even even in a room full of five people who'd heard everything there ever was to hear. There were just some things that were going too far in terms of your personal taste and so forth. Yeah. Whereas nowadays, where do you listen to music most often? You probably, as Giles says, you know, in the kitchen yeah. or in the social spaces of the house, you know, where, where the family uh, are gathered. And therefore there's a tolerance, there's less tolerance for certain kinds of things. Uh, I couldn't think of the last time I'd put on a record with my oh my kids now in their late thirties, so it's a, they're, they're, and they're not here that much. But you know, I can't think of the last time I actually put on a record with all of us in the same room listening to it. Can you? Is that something you still do? I um, well, I t- I tell you, you know, at, at the end of every year, Spotify do a little audit of your your most played tunes. Yeah. Of the of the whole so yours year. was Teddy Bear's Picnic, wasn't it? And it was Teddy Bear's Picnic and the Sound of Music. That's right. <laughs> because because um, I've got granddaughters who rather like both, you know. So that's very often when you tend to play things when the children are there, you know. Yeah, yeah. You're yeah. trying to distract children at the end of a long day or something. There's no chance of trampled underfoot coming out, really, is it? No, but oddly enough, do you know what they like? They like the Bee Gees. They I'm like lying. staying alive. They like disco music. Yeah. <laughs> obviously, you know, these are only small children. Um, but there's just something there's just something very engaging about Completely that. Completely winning about exactly. There is. And uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with that at all, you know. What what a fine achievement on on the part of the on the part of the Bee Gees. So yes, if you've uh, if you've got your own nominations for uh, yeah, acts who are just uh, slipping out of view, I think that's right about the Doors. I really do. And the Doors, they they had some kind of 
Well, there was a whole thing about you know, the lyrics of L.A. Woman and Thomas Pynchon and all that was very fashionable at one time, that kind of crime novel thing. I think most of their references have gone, have slipped away. And there's also something just baroque and indulgent about them that doesn't really work in the modern world. Really. Jim Morrison doesn't. That hasn't survived, I think. The concept that Jim Morrison is somehow wonderful, the bohemian, you know, the lizard king, the poet. The, you know what I mean? I, I, I can't say that. Are people still flying the flag for him? Not as much. We shall find out. This is a junction in the Word podcast. It separates that bit from this next bit. So we're joined by a birthday guest. Very nice to see him again. Uh, Ray Roscoe. Ray, happy birthday. And uh, and you have uh, a proposition or a query or a theory or whatever to put to us. And what is it? Right. I suppose to uh, quote the, um, the heading of an article I read on this man, we need to talk about Kevin. Oh, All right. Good. Oh, yeah. That's good. <laughs> yes. Um, Guy, I, I took my cue from you, David. You The other week you went and discovered Caravanserai again, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And I thought, oh, well, I'll have a look at my album collection. And uh, I have Millionaires and Teddy Bears, a 1978-79 album. This by is Kevin. Ke- Kevin Coyne. Kevin Coyne is the man. Kevin Coyne is the man. And, and uh, I, I haven't thought about Kevin Coyne or played his music for... 40 years, I there reckon. There you go, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't know he was still, well, he, he's no longer with us, died in 2004. But uh, he 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 did have a little burst in the 70s. He was, he's on a par with the, well, uh, this audience will probably know, but the sort of Roy Harper, Sid Barrett, John Martin, that sort of 70s singer-songwriter. But he was a bit, he wasn't folky, he was bluesy. He came from a blues route, sort of acoustic Elmore James type blues, very aggressive acoustic guitar, and he had his lyrics were very angular and challenging. He was a big Peel favourite, and lots of Peel sessions is probably where I found him. And yeah, I saw him, him a lot. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but now completely forgotten. And uh, I went to play that album again. I thought there's some really good stuff on this, and this was the album that uh, he was on Virgin at the time. In fact, he was the second act. He was, he was. He probably had an album came out the same week as Tubular Bells, actually, which is probably yeah, a mixed blessing. Right. <laughs> um, Richard Branson had, had this idea he was going to turn him into the next Joe Cocker or something, and that was... Yes, because he had curly hair, so it was easy to, to yeah, believe had that. Yeah, vocal, bluesy vocal sound, and uh, but, it, you know, it never happened for him. Um, he did... I mean, <laughs> That this album, Millionaires and Teddy Bears, that that was the big push by Virgin, and uh, I think it was some. I saw a quote saying, "We we this if this doesn't if this isn't a hit, I'll eat my hat." <laughs> and, uh, they, yeah, but they yes. were all saying stuff like that. I suppose the interesting thing is that you say you say he's forgotten, but you're talking about him here. Yeah, no, and and what we've what, what we've learned about all these people is that in the fullness of time, they all get their moment in the sun. They may be dead before it happens. But <laughs> he died happen. a while ago. He died about 20 years ago, I think, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, it. I think so what, that's, that's one of the reasons that the flag isn't necessarily still flying. But, but Dave's right. Everybody get they have their moment. They get Somebody will cover a Kevin Coyne song. I uh, hope so. And, uh, it'll I, appear on the soundtrack of a movie or something. Oh, or I wish. Get another... I, I wish that would happen, but they, uh, there was, there was, yeah, no, the reason, uh, well, we, I wouldn't have discovered it had I not had the tangible object though, David, I had not had the album. Oh, this, oh absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You don't yeah. get pushed his way. If you, if you, you know, on Spotify, if you do, um, I don't know, John Martin radio or, or Roy Harper radio, he never comes up. He's never listed as another option. Yeah. 
never yeah. and anywhere's yeah. listen only when you go in and have a look <laughs> got the album and then i i got on this fantastic adventure it, the guy's far more than a musician he, you know an artist has had a retrospective at the tate gallery he's uh, he published books he's written plays he did a, a, a an album about some 30s northern comedian called frank randall that became a musical <laughs> frank randall i know frank randall do you well, not personally, but I know of Frank Randall. Frank Randall was a very well-known northern comedian of the, yeah. of the kind of pre-television age. But let, let me let me let me show you something here, right? Uh, um, before Kevin Coyne was a solo act, mm-hmm. he was the prime mover of of a group called Siren. Indeed. He made a record on Dandelion, and I oh, got, got it. it. Isn't that oh, amazing? That is I good, got it. it. That is Strange Locomotion by Siren. Um, there you go, on the Dandelion label. Came, came out God knows what year. Uh, 1971. Oh, there you go. I ought to have, have it on be. my massive playlist of uh, yeah. of everything significant that came out in 1971. So there Dave you are. Dave is, is in the band, isn't he? Dave Plagg, the bass player? Yes. Yeah, Dave. Well, I think there were also... Didn't they also appear as Coin Clag? I think oh, they did. I think God. they did. I seem to remember. So this group, Dave, Kevin Coin, Nick Cubworth, Dave Clag, Mick Gratton, and Tat Meager. Uh, it was produced by by David Clagg. So nineteen seventy-one. So, you know, nothing is forgotten. <laughs> yes. Nothing escapes no. the all seeing eye of word in your ear. So, you know, you may <coughs> You may say he's forgotten, but for one brief moment, he's not. Yeah, thanks to you. So there'll no doubt be other people who listen to this. They, do you know, I have a copy of Marjorie Razorblade or whatever his other records were. I, I, Marjorie Razorblade was a double, I think. I think it was a cheap double on the Virgin label. Sorry if I digress. Uh, you know, he's not forgotten name. now. Thank, thanks to your thanks to your sponsorship. So so thanks for doing that. Uh, no. You know that, that invaluable public service, mm-hmm. and uh, and thanks for coming along yesterday to word in your ear. Uh, word, <laughs> word in the park. You, you had a good time. I enjoyed it thoroughly. I enjoyed it thoroughly. It was a, a excellent day, and uh, I'm slightly worrying some of those stories about Mick Jagger and the Stones. And oh my <laughs> God, there were some revelations. Were there? Mick Jagger's affair with with, with Mick Taylor. Oh, good, yeah. I think it was I, done news to me. I said, I can't yeah. get it out of my head. But there we are. That's why Mick Taylor left the band, supposedly. Who anyway. knew? The Word Podcast. Fix yourself a drink and it's like being in the pub. And we're joined by another of our birthday Patreon supporters celebrating his birthday, Paul Thompson. Hello, Paul. How are you doing? Good morning. Yes, very well. Thank you. Yes. And now, Paul, you've, you've got a log to, to throw on the fire. I Is have. I have, yes. I'm, I'm, it's just... This week, BBC t- seems to have gone completely over the top with their uh, AI reporting, and it's, uh, they're, they're saying that it's going to be the end of civilization as we know it. Yes, I saw that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> which, uh, which is slightly worrying. But, yeah, um, one of the guys who co-invented it is kind of reg- intensely regretful about it, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I, was re- I was also reading something in the Financial Times about um, the fact that Music now is being developed through AI, and people are having their voices kind of uh, turned into famous singers' voices. 
apparently there's been albums by um, people produced like Oasis with Liam singing and um, and there's been songs in the charts with with um, um, songs which have got other singers singing on them. It's, this is just wondering what what is this going to turn into? Is it, is it going to be something? <laughs> I, I, I wish I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Uh, I, you know, I don't think anybody knows uh, what it's going to turn into. But they they um, I mean, it strikes me that there's a lot of kind of uh, repetitive labor in the making of any kind of creative product. And I think AI will do a lot of that. Yeah. Certainly, first of all, but but I suppose the one thing you can guarantee is that the 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 more sophisticated the kind of fakery, the more demand there will be for a personal encounter with whoever is supposed to have authored the music. Because yeah. what works in pop music is not just the music; it's the combination of the pop, uh, of the music and the personality. It's the person you attach it to. Yeah. And therefore, you know, those personalities are presumably going to become more and more valuable uh, as time goes uh, as time goes on. Um, yeah. You know, that people are going to be more bothered about going to see their favourite or meeting their favourite or whatever, yeah. having some kind of personal encounter um to make up for it that's my that's my prediction well <laughs> you, surely, it, it, well uh, you can't you know half the attraction is just the the author isn't it the, their lives what they're saying your relationship with that person and if you're not convinced there's a person involved it'd be very hard i don't know i thought it was interesting that dave you did an interview i think was for radio times i think with neil tennant and asked him about it and neil tennant said i can see why people would use it as a tool the idea is you get stuck writing a song and you think, well, if you ask AI to see if they can get from point A to point B and see what they come up with, you know, you could reject it and come up with your own idea. But at some point you might do that and then think, I'll use it. And then yeah. if you use that, you might you not be tempted to use more if you're convinced by it, you know. Yeah. So it's possible that it might. Uh, it might I mean, be, I mean, what, yeah. Absolutely I nothing that, I've heard yeah. so far has yeah, been yeah. remotely convincing or moving, but I'm sure it will be. <laughs> I'm sure it will only increase and get better. Yeah. Well, nothing. Yes, nothing I've heard would, would convince me that it was a useful thing. But it's, the, it's, it's that sort of artistic process, isn't it, where you can we can generate new ideas and maybe use them, maybe not use them, which sounds like it might be useful. So, exactly. Yeah. And once you started doing that, I think you'd be tempted to carry on doing. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> but because, then you could, you know, you could, as Dave said, a lot of this stuff is just drudgery and just hard labour. Yeah. And uh, anything to get to get around that would help. You know, be attractive. Yeah. Yes, yes. It remains the case, as P.G. Woodhouse said, that the secret of creativity is first apply the seat of the trousers to the surface of the chair. <laughs> everything else, everything else follows from that, you know. Uh, but uh, we we should keep an eye on that, Paul. That's all, yeah, all we can say, right. really. We, <laughs> you know, we, we don't have answers. There may be people listening who, who do answer, who do have answers, and they're closer to the. Um, Close to the thinking. Uh, well, look, thanks very much for that. And uh, with your happy birthday as of last week. Thank See you, you next time. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. 